Welcome in to the All Things Go podcast, episode 17. I'm your host, Derek Yoder, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Murphy of Stewart House Racing. And Brian, boy, oh boy, do we have a packed show today. But before we welcome on our first guest this evening, an impressive showing by SHR as three of the four cars finished inside the top 12 at Phoenix. Yeah, a really good run for um, really everybody. The 10 head speed just had a loose wheel there that kind of... Uh, set them back and uh but man it's great to see those cars go out build some momentum as we head to atlanta and um you know uh, i'm really excited to see how this week plays out a lot of unknowns going into this race yeah uh you're right we're gonna get into a lot of different conversation i know on twitter you've posted a few things about the intermediate super speedway conversation that we can have you highlighted a good comparison that i'm i'm interested to hear uh some of the conversations this evening so let's welcome on our first guest tonight a very special guest uh, the driver uh, the number 41 autodesk hostooling.com ford mustang this weekend and coming off a 12th place finish at phoenix ryan priest ryan thank you so much for joining us how you doing yeah, I'm doing good. And uh, obviously, you know, Brian's a pretty instrumental guy there. And I see him a lot when I'm walking around. And, and a quick little funny story. The first time I met Brian was actually at Port City <coughs> today. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah. Reese, you know what I mean? Where I actually, yeah. where we, we can actually talk about that. But um, <laughs> it was, uh, that was the first time. And that was when I was, I learned with late models, you don't use exploding rivets. Uh, he was he was buying a, a pack of rivets for his uh, super late mile, and he turned around and said, "Is this what you use?" And and me and another guy from Stewart Hospital were like, "No, hell no! You don't use exploding <laughs> rivets. You use regular rivets and put on a backup washer. That's the the way to go." So now that's how you 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 help him out there, Brian, a little bit there. I was I was gonna put it in the message as well to be like, "Hey, could you just help me out and give me one of those funny stories or something on the back end?" You know, because Brian, you know, he comes on this very good, very professional. But I also want to hear what everybody's got a little dirt on them or or a joke here and there. So you kind of you helped out a little bit there. Yeah, we don't have any dirt. I come from uh, so talking about rivets. I come from modifieds, which we use Zeus's mm -hmm. and you know Zeus buttons. So uh, and Zeus springs. So like the whole rivet the body together and and the, so when i put my late model together i didn't put backup washers behind the rivets and it mm -hmm. kept through the fiberglass uh that was something that i did having to learn along the way but uh wait right that's you, that was my you, you probably would have been better off if i would just shut my mouth and uh, let you get the exploding rivets <laughs> yeah just throwing them out would, would have been a would have made for a much better story uh, in the end. So, uh, Ryan, I'm, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you tonight a little bit here and obviously coming off a 12th place finish. We talked so much last week uh, going into Phoenix, and Brian was a, a big uh, role throughout the week where he appeared on you know, the Stay Green podcast and, and doing a whole bunch of different things, talking about the low downforce package. Uh, how did that really compare to you? Because last year, or, or going into this year, you know, that experience of driving that package, it the fans talked about it on Twitter, and uh, it seemed like the whole talk of the town. And then afterwards, nobody was really talking about a whole lot. Getting behind cars was it as difficult as what they were making it seem? Uh, yeah, being behind cars is still difficult. Yeah. Didn't really mm -hmm. change. Um, I think the biggest benefit you get from taking downforce away is is taking throttle time away from the car, right? Like, you know, as you grow up, you tend to get in race cars where you have to lift and use the brake. Um, or, you know, it, it, we're not go-kart racing where you're in the throttle the entire time and momentum's everything. I feel mm -hmm. like uh, 
that was one of the good takeaways that I definitely <laughs> took from it. But I'm still, I'm still an advocate, and I'd argue any day of the week with somebody about this, that even though you do take downforce away, we still need horsepower. We still need – I mean, our cars weigh 3,400 pounds. They need – 1300 horsepower i was just talking to jensen button about formula one cars back in the day where they were 1600 1800 pounds 1100 horsepower or whatever it was and then thousands you know they obviously had thousands of counts of downforce but it's just like me as a race car driver i want to be the only thing that's preventing me from from putting that pedal down and and you know obviously there's really intelligent really smart people in this sport and they're going to figure out ways to to make the car go through the corner faster or grip up sooner. But eventually when you have a lot of horsepower and you have no downforce and you have, and you take all those things, when the tire gives up, it puts it back into our hands. So it's uh, that's something I really hope one day before my career is done that, that I get to do. Yeah. That, that, you know, tracks that could have more tire wear the better i think for obviously putting it back in your hands a little bit more uh getting more out of the car so yeah that's you know last week it was definitely interesting to see how that was going to play out because again the spoiler conversation everything that you know we talked about here brian uh on the show as well so obviously heading to atlanta this weekend and I think I heard you say, or somebody alerted me that you maybe said it on Sirius. You believe that it's going to be more like a super speedway. Is that correct? That's just from from where I feel like R is going. You know, to to basically at least how we're going to show up. Mm-hmm. As, I think it's going to be very very similar to a super speedway, but everything just happens quicker, right? It's still a mile and a half. Uh, it's not Daytona or Talladega where everything's just spread out. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, me giving you an honest answer, I think it's going to be a lot, a lot like a super speedway. That's good. I want the honest answers. Yeah. Cause I, I think you maybe said that today or somebody heard that today and they sent me a message right away and they're like, see, Ryan even thinks it's going to be like a super speedway. Tell Brian that. So <laughs> I knew that when I brought that up, Brian was going to love that. Yeah, it's um, yeah. There's, there's, it is very much like a super speedway, but it is a track like we talked about last night that I think is going to take um, a little bit more effort when it comes to the balance between downforce and drag. Where um, you know, it's you, you have to find that efficient downforce. It's not as maybe plain and simple as a true super speedway where you'll trade. Um, you know, eight counts of downforce for a count of drag, or even when you go to a short track or, or the intermediate racetracks, the goal is just all out downforce. You'll, whatever you can do to get one count of um, downforce, it doesn't matter how much drag comes with that. So it's just a little bit more of a, you know, a game where you're having to find that efficient balance between those two. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if the track also has aged at all. Um, again, 15 degrees cooler than it was last year for this race. Um, so kind of, again, a lot of interesting aspects going into this, uh, this weekend. So, and real quick in my defense or Brian's defense, whichever way you want to put it, I'm talking about it from a driver's perspective, from your, your full, you know, Las Vegas, Kansas intermediates where you're going to have to lift, you're, you're going to fight challenges now from a body build or setup perspective absolutely i think you know going to daytona everybody's always saying trim out trim out trim out try to get as you know as much drag out of the car without paying too much of a a downforce penalty 
So, you know, obviously Brian knows there's some of us that are kind of, you know, treating it certain ways. And, and I feel like Chad and I, I've already, I've already expressed to him that, you know, I'm a downforce guy. Let me be able to go through the corner and commit and not feel like I am lacking that, that so, so to speak downforce. So it, it's definitely, I, I, I agree with Brian. Um, it's, it's just from a driver's perspective, uh, it is definitely, I'm going in with the mindset of this is this, we need to attack this like a super speedway race. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I think that was a good explanation there. Uh, you brought up Chad, you know, your crew chief and uh, you guys have a good relationship, have a, a long uh, relationship as well. How's the year been for you guys out of the gate, obviously coming in uh, with Stuart Haas your first time, but having that crew chief of somebody that, Hey, you have that established relationship with after four races, how would you assess it? How are things going with that? Yeah, I mean, my relationship with Chad is is really good. One of the best relationships that I've had um, with a crew chief. I I still to this day I talk about you know Chris Gabehart and I have a have a great relationship as well. And and um, you know when I when I first met Chad, I I felt like I was immediately able to compare that relationship that I have with Chad to 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 Chris's and I's. You know, just that level of communication how quickly it took off. So um, the first four races or five races, whatever you want, I feel like we've had the speed we've, you know, obviously Vegas wasn't exactly where we wanted to be mile and a half wet, but we knew going into it that for Chad and I was going to be our big question mark, but from a super speedway, how the car drove to a quarter mile bull ring to last week at Phoenix, where we ended up at the end of the race, uh, and even Fontana, a place where we didn't get practice, and I felt like if we didn't get, you know, picked up in that restart disaster, we would have been pretty decent. So uh, finishes, statistics, if you're a statistics guy, you look at it and you shake your head. But I'm a guy that that I, I really um, emphasize relationships and, and communication, and I feel like all those, all those pieces are there. Uh, now we just got to continue to build off of Phoenix and not let that be a high of early on in the season and just use that as a building piece to, to go into Atlanta. Um, I, I've already said within our team that we need stage points. We need to have a good run uh, just from a points, points aspect and then, and then keep building from there. You know, this is a very diverse schedule from, from uh, anything in the past. So you're kind of going all over the place, but uh you know, if we can get through Atlanta with a with a good stage points day and, and a good finish and then go to Coda and maximize all our days there, that's where, you know, Martinsville and Richmond and, and places where my communication and my background, we should be able to go and, and really shine. Yeah. And you, you know what? You mentioned it five races. I should have included the clash because. The Clash, you were a major part of that. That was a major storyline. You know, it, it felt like it was going forever for all those cautions that we were having and them not counting it. But the 41 car and you up front there was really cool to see. How was that for you being the first race out in the 41 car? And I know it wasn't an official race, but it's still official through when you look at the whole season as a landscape, as a team. Uh, how was that for you? Because that was that was fun for me to watch and text and Brian like, Dude, this is this is crazy. Yeah, um, you know, obviously my background from a you know bullring perspective, I, I mean, you could say I have an upper hand, but still, I mean, racing cars. I just had this conversation with somebody earlier today about 
the badass thing about racers or racing is, is, is the process that goes into building a fast race car. And that allows us drivers to go out and shine because without fast race cars, and Kevin says this all the time, you cannot drive a slow car fast. That doesn't matter if you're at a quarter mile, a mile and a half, a freaking Daytona, it doesn't matter. And that's, that's what racing was really built on was guys, you know, being creative, building cool shit and, I don't know if you're allowed to swear on this podcast, but I'm gonna absolutely. That's raw. Absolutely. So, you know, I I just that was a testament to everybody rolling their sleeves up and Chad and the engineers and and the team. You know, we didn't have all the speed in practice, but we knew we were gonna have a fast race car, and and that's what it showed. So that's um, I always I joke with Chad sometimes because practice usually isn't the greatest looking thing. And this is actually Gabe Hart that, that pointed this out to me because practice usually doesn't look the greatest for, for myself or our team or anybody, you know, just in general, whenever I'm racing, uh, qualifying usually is, is better We're we're right there, but come race time, there's nobody that's going to, you know, put the brass knuckles on like me. So, uh, it, it, when it's time to get paid and time to, to really, you know, when it counts, I'm, I'm a hundred percent focused. So definitely, uh, looking forward to, and, and that's, you know, I'm not trying to get long winded here, but that's somewhere, something that's been really uh, beneficial having Kevin Harvick as a teammate, because he's really opening my eyes to preparation as a driver, just to, to help speed up this process. Yeah. I tell Derek all the time, um, you know, having a new driver, new crew chief come in can, can sometimes be a little, uh strange for the team um you know but you guys the whole 41 team is just carrying a whole different type of swagger that maybe we haven't really seen that 41 team in a little while um so it's it's just awesome to see really excited you know again each race is is almost like a present that's that's being open to see uh you know what what's going to come about but uh maybe talk a little bit about this car the next gen car uh you are not a cup rookie so you understand the flow of the series the flow of the races, uh, you know, just the speed and the aggression that you have to have in the cup series. But maybe do you consider yourself maybe a little bit of a rookie knowing that you have a year, you know, this car has been out a year without you behind the wheel for a lot of it. I know you ran five or six races last year, but what are the challenges going into this new car, um, a new team and, um, you know, learning what's, what's that progression coming? It's kind of like a hybrid right it's uh you're definitely going through a lot of the learning stages that guys went through last year um and that's that's you know a part where you you have to you know figure it out a lot quicker than than most but um certainly i i I really enjoy this car because there's a lot of tendencies that you know a lot of habits that i have from modifieds that can carry over to this and that's what you know, before they were considered bad habits where I had to unlearn them or try not to implement them. And, and now I'm being told I got to do those things. And, and it's like, it's exciting. And, you know, obviously going to, going to tracks that I've been in, you know, been to before in the cup series, but just with a different car. So it's a lot of it right now, I would say is, you know, Chad, we're, we're trying to learn this car and learn where I need to be and, and what balance that I, I want to unload with. And, and a lot of it too is, is trying to build that level of comfort that when I sail off the, 
you know, sail the car off into turn one at 190 miles an hour, that it's going to stick. And, and I feel like that's just a level of, of confidence that you build uh, over time. And, you know, obviously uh, trusting the guy that is making the calls and, and, you know, setting the car up and all those things certainly helps. And that's, you know, when, when it was coming down to putting this team together and who was going to lead that team and, and be the leader with me is, is that's why I really want to chat, you know, and I'm, I'm happy it all worked out. Yeah, it's cool to see those elements come together a lot like in the NFL where you have a, a, dry, a quarterback and a head coach, a lot of personnel change. But whenever you have that connection, I mean, it goes far beyond. I mean, it, it really benefits somebody like you guys with your communication alone in the race where, you know, what he's you know, he knows what you're asking him and he knows the same. So that's those elements are really uh, unique there. When we look at Atlanta, and there was something that Anthony Alfredo posted about the uh, pit road. Uh, I'm sure you've you've seen it and all that, like where they've moved the pit road into. I think it's right at the beginning of turn three. What is that going to really do, especially on a green flag stop this week? Because that looks like a wild element where guys are going to be flying down there. You got to get slowed down in that turn and then into pit road. Have you tested anything like that uh, in the sim, or or <laughs> how do you prepare for that? Uh, I did. I did do a couple of little quick dry runs um, through last, yesterday in the sim, and uh, it's it's certainly interesting. I know I'm going to practice in qualifying when we get done with a lap. I'm going to practice charging pit road because we like really that. don't know. But um, yeah, man, I don't know if we have a green flag pit cycle. If somebody gets daring and decides to have a sniper oh. left rear and they spin out, like that could change the entire complexion of of mm-hmm. the race. So, um, I think you're going to see a lot of people saving fuel and, and trying to, trying to stretch it as long as possible. And then, you know, on the other side is <clears throat> we always try to maximize pit road and making sure, you know, you go through the corner as quick as possible. That's going to, that's going to show a, your measurements and everything for your lights, mm-hmm. make sure they're right. Us drivers maximizing, but not speeding. There's just, there's so much that's going to go into that race. And, and, uh, you know, if we do have a green flag pit stop, if people, you know, if people a speed on pit road or lose the draft or anything, you're going to, there's going to be such a separation and that whole complexion of that race changes. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. I I would assume that similar to like Daytona and Talladega where teams uh, more are pitting together in tandem. Maybe the OEMs are trying to stay uh, together. I guess that same element would apply going into this week. Right. I don't know, man. I think, (laughs) I think everybody's mindset is just need to get through this pit cycle. Yeah. Um, You know, I haven't heard anything, but I don't think the coming in groups of 15 or 20, you know, like Chevrolets, because there's many of them, if they come down pit road at 15, sometimes it's hard enough to get to pit road. at Like good luck at Atlanta. I don't know. I don't think that's going to work. Interesting. Well, I'm glad that I asked because I was so curious to hear what you would have to say about it because the pictures that they've shown, it's like that's going to be that's going to be a wild element. But last year, you know, you you raced in the truck race last year in at Atlanta. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. so going that series going back this time and racing uh, on Saturday, I was down at Charlotte when you were when you were racing, and there's two guys that I believe that get the most. And I've said this before, so I don't mind saying it again here. Two guys that get the most out of their vehicle doesn't matter what you put them in. It's you and it's Parker Kligerman. 
and you guys always are getting the most out of your cars. And so at, at Atlanta, who's a name somebody should be keeping an eye on from the truck series? Uh, because that's, you know, that's the upcoming series as well. You know, man, that's, it's tough. I can't, um, the one I'm really interested to see this weekend is uh, Lane Riggs, but mm-hmm. here's, here's the big thing that everybody needs to temper, you know, kind of manage their expectations just because he's never been on a, uh, or in a race like this. Right. So he, he grew up short track racing and, you know, me, myself doing the same thing. I know there's going to be, there's going to be things that mentally, you know, you're going to be going through going into the corner and, and committing that this truck's going to, you know, stick or whatever. So I think he's somebody that is certainly, you know, for his age and, and for what he's accomplished, uh, you know, I'm excited to see him come out and hopefully get some good races and put some good races together. Yeah, I'm always interested to hear what guys that raced in various series, whether it's Xfinity, Truck, or whatever, what their opinions are. Because as those series go back, I'm always curious, you know, kind of what you what you saw on your end. What's the uh, there, there was another thing that I was kind of curious about, and obviously, like we've talked about, you know, you're coming back into the series. So, what is different between the Ryan Priest in 2023 versus the Ryan Priest coming in as a rookie uh, back in the uh, the day? Uh, from What's the a, biggest difference? Don't say and don't say um, don't say experience or anything like that. Like what's? I wouldn't. I mean, I I don't think you know. I felt like if you know in 2019 I had the opportunity right I had right now, I could have won then. You know, it's, mm-hmm. there's not really there, there's just so many things. And Brian Brian knows this. Um, there's a lot of things that add in to being a winning driver at the cup series level. And, and there was a lot of times where, man, I, I don't know how to put this, but it's just, it's, it's a lot more difficult as a race car driver being in the situation. I, I can point out Todd Gillen being the one right now is um, he's probably experiencing some of the things that I experienced. And, you know, as a race car driver, you've won in everything you've ever been in growing up your entire life. And, why is it that all of a sudden, you know, I'm struggling and it's not necessarily the fact that it's, you need as a young driver, you need every, every part and piece to, to go together and, and to work together to, to accomplish those goals. And if, you know, that's why experienced drivers like Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, um, Denny Hamlin, uh, you know, I can name a few of them. When they go into new situations, they know how to get the process to where it needs to be to where they can win. When you're younger or first time in Cup Series and you're going into something, you don't necessarily understand how to get that process. So you're leaning on other people, you know, um, other people helping get you there. And sometimes that doesn't happen. So uh, ultimately, that's where I'd say, there was there was certainly some a lot of challenges that were happening there and and for me you know as a race car driver it it didn't work out um and what i'll say is tad and jody gershechter were phenomenal people and did a lot for me so i wouldn't ever talk bad about that experience i just think that sometimes sometimes things don't work out and that's i'm going to chalk that up as that's what it was yeah, I think it's, you know, it's obviously this new car kind of evened the playing field out a lot. I think when we look back to that Gen 6, what it took to win cup races was 
campaigns and efforts that were beyond what I think most people can imagine um, when it came to money, time, tooling, efforts, uh, all of that. So, you know, you, you almost don't even have to say much. It's just, I think at that point in time, it was, there was such a far gap between the elite teams and even the mid pack. And, and maybe that's one thing, um, you know, we can celebrate with this new cars is closing that gap, giving more teams the opportunity and um, making sure drivers, like yourself that that have that talent and have that ability to take a car to victory lane have more chances and opportunities to do that so what's the uh the next race you have on the schedule what's the one that you have circled obviously you're a short track guy but what's that one venue that you have circled where you're like that one i, I can't wait for <clears throat> well new hampshire's always one to be honest with I, you. I was gonna say let's not say new, yeah let's not but, say new hampshire i should have taken that off but what I will say is after Richmond, um, some of the things that we hit on <clears throat> going into qualifying and then for the race, I felt like um, I felt like Richmond should be one that is is at the top of my list right now from as long as we hit the balance uh, with the adjustments that I felt like we needed for Phoenix, <clears throat> I could see uh, Richmond being a really good race for us. But if we miss it, then it could be the complete opposite, and I could be swatting flies all day. I don't know. But there was there was a lot, a lot of good things that, you know, from a driver's perspective, when what you want to feel in the wheel, uh, in the front tires, mm-hmm. there were a lot of good things from what I felt at Phoenix. So if we can just uh, – if we can take some of the things that I felt like we needed, we could be really good there. All right, I'll, I'll circle uh, Richmond for now, and if that doesn't work out, then I'll – circle uh new hampshire uh obviously you're 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 recording here tonight from uh, your shop i know you have a lot going on outside the car with the farm and everything so i'm sure you keep pretty busy outside the uh the shop yeah uh i mean i to be honest with you the, the farm stuff's my wife she loves animals i love animals okay. and all of our animals are pretty much rescues so mm-hmm. uh certainly that keeps her busy I, I tend to stay in my shop, um, whether it's my modified, um, I enjoy working on street cars, uh, that pretty much consumes the time that I choose to give myself in my shop, you know, a couple hours a night. Um, but if I, if I'm not in my shop, I'm pretty much at SHR wandering around, hopping in places at random hours. You know, it's just, uh, I, I really enjoy the atmosphere that for, you know, a racer, it feels like I'm at my shop or, or where mm-hmm. I, and you know, there's a lot of guys um, that actually were from up North and one of them's Reggie Ruggiero. And, and uh, he, he actually works in the, in the fab side on the, in the second building. And <clears throat> so he, I'll give you a quick little story is when I was about 16 years old, my dad used to, when I, when I got my license, he used to send me to Raceworks, which is what Reggie Ruggiero and Eddie Funky owned. Um, and I'd have to go get fittings or whatever, various parts that Re- Reggie carried. And Reggie wouldn't talk to me much. You know, I was that 16-year-old little shit, and, and you, you really didn't get much out of him. And as I was winning races and I won my first championship on the Wheel of Modified Tour, Reggie started talking to me more and more and more. And I used to have, you know, I'd have more conversations with him. Well, now when I'm at SHR and we run into each other and I see him, there's times where I'd be like, I got to go Reggie. I got to, you know, I got to go over here or something like that. So it's, uh, and, and for those that don't know and listen to this podcast, Reggie is like the modified, he's, he's a modified great. He's won everything there is in, in modified. So, uh, it's always nice to, to bump into him. 
Interesting. So now roles are like reversed a little bit where you're like, Hey, sorry, yeah. I don't have the time now. Yeah. No, Here, here's Yeah. Definitely not. <laughs> that's I, I do like your style though. I'll say this because, you know, like you were saying about the rescues, you know, that's more your wife's thing. The more rescues you bring in and, and have her kind of oversee and kind of tend to the more time in the shop that you get. So I like, I like that thought process there, Ryan. That's good. <laughs> I wish it worked like that. But it <laughs> I know. I'm trying to talk. I'm trying to talk myself into it because I I try to go off as much as I can. I'm always like, what can I give my wife uh, to do? Oh yeah, here's here's the two kids. You're good to go. So it doesn't work for me. Yeah, that's funny. Well, I appreciate you guys. Uh, are you coming on, Ryan? Um, you know, I know you're super busy getting ready for Atlanta, but uh, again, thanks for your time. Um, you know, it was great to talk to you. Good luck this weekend. And just FYI, I was told yesterday that I will be going to Coda with you on the 41 team. So oh. excited to uh, get back to the track and head to a track that I have yet to go to. Let's try and uh, have some fun with that rear diffuse. Bring all the down for <laughs> There we go. It'll, it'll be hooked up for sure. You don't got to worry about that. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ron. We now welcome on a very special guest, Bob Pockris of Fox Sports. Bob is the NASCAR reporter for Fox, a staple for many on Twitter to get daily and race day information from. And Bob, thanks so much for joining uh, the show. And, you know, if I did the math correctly, you're averaging about a tweet every two minutes this week, given all the penalties handed down from NASCAR. Yeah, I, I went doubt it. It's uh, maybe not a tweet every two minutes, but man, it's been pretty, pretty wild week uh, as uh, as penalty weeks typically are. Uh, and that just when you thought you were only going to have a certain set of penalties, uh, a podcast pops up and then, then there's more penalties to talk about. So, yeah, it's been a pretty crazy week. Yeah, I didn't have that on my bingo card where a podcast would uh, result in some type of penalties. When, when Brian and I were first getting the show up and running, we were talking about which day to do this. Brian suggested Thursdays because penalties come out about, you know, Tuesdays, Wednesdays sometimes. So Thursday lends a perfect opportunity. Well, Brian, you looked into the future and saw this one uh, coming a mile away and no better guy to have on regarding this week than Bob. So, Bob, again, appreciate you joining. I know you're in Atlanta and uh, yeah, just. Can't thank you enough for for joining us tonight. Yeah, no problem. Glad to be on, guys. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's jump into obviously the the biggest topics. There's there's so many ways we can go with this. Uh, it's one of those things where stories can write themselves. You're obviously a reporter. You do a lot of writing as well. But this this week is uh, made pretty easy for you. Where NASCAR handed down penalties left to right, left and right. There's there's going to be teams that are obviously going through the. Uh, the process where they can appeal a colleague I just read is going to be doing that before qualifying. What happens there? Obviously they're appealing. Do they, their their points are still adjusted as they are now till they go through the appeal process or does everything revert back to what it was just break down for everybody. So they understand. Yeah. So when, when you're penalized, all the penalties go into effect. And if you do decide to appeal, you can ask for the suspensions to be deferred pending appeal. So the points are already are deducted, everything. So, you know, when they decide the metric on as far as who qualifies when, you, those points have been deducted. Um, and the only thing you can do is ask. And, and NASCAR doesn't have to grant it, uh, you know, but they, you typically do to defer the suspensions uh, pending appeal. Now, if it was something uh, 
you know, if it's something behavioral where with a driver, sometimes they won't defer those suspensions. But most of the time they'll defer them. Now, Hendrick has decided not to defer their suspensions or at least ask for a deferral or at least not for this week. You know, it makes sense because Atlanta, you don't have practice. So there's nothing you, you're not really working on the car. All you're doing is tech, qualify, impound race. So, uh, so in, I think the race is Atlanta race probably be somewhat straightforward as far as when to, you know, as far as pitting and pitting with your manufacturer and stuff. So they probably feel like they, their crew chiefs can stay home, uh, obviously still be in communication and not lose as much as maybe some other weeks. So that they, they know that if they don't win the appeal, at least they have one week suspension uh, that they've served under their belt. Now what they decide going forward, I have not heard. And, you know, it kind of, for them, your question would be if you're if you're the nine team, does Gustafson still sit out because you you'd want him back when Chase comes back? You wouldn't want to risk pushing any of his suspension any later. Yeah, a bunch of great points there, Bob. Um, you know, we saw the four team with Rodney Childers last year uh, after the deck lid penalty. They appealed, but they kept Rodney back at the shop during that time so they could have him at Phoenix at that last race. So there's obviously so many ways you can go about this appeal when it comes to, um, you know, first of all, appealing it, like Bob said, it's, it's, there's a lot that goes into that, who does it, um, and, and, and what you're trying to bring to the appeal process to show that maybe it, it wasn't, uh, you know, the penalty doesn't, uh, meet the crime, but, um, yeah, a bunch of interesting stuff going on with this between the two teams, uh, picking different ways to, attack these penalties um, will definitely be interesting to see how they play out. Yeah. I mean, it will be, you know, they've, they've all both issued statements. What's what will resonate with, uh, with the appeals panel. Uh, Hendrick did ask, I guess the team can make this request that all four of their appeals be heard at the same time, which I think was pretty much assumed you wouldn't, you wouldn't want four separate panels and four separate decisions. You want the same group making the decision. You don't want to, have to go through it four different times when it's the same argument for all four. So still not sure if they have to pay for each one, you know, uh, whether they have to pay $10,000 for four appeals or two twenty five hundred for one appeal, but um, that's not refundable by the way. Uh, so <laughs> it's uh, price tags on it, not refundable. The, that's on there. That, that's on there. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, there is a process of getting people into, to hear the appeal and, and kind of the, I don't know if it's worth that much, but uh, they certainly just don't want people doing appeals uh, just to appeal. So that's yeah. why there's a there's a cost to it. That makes a lot of sense. That, you know, the one thing with uh, you, Bob, that I don't know a whole lot. I don't know uh, your background. I mean, I don't know how you got into the sport. Do you mind telling the people that are tuning in uh, maybe how you got your sport? your start in the sport. I know when Gluck and uh, Weaver were on one question I asked them was who helped you or who helped them uh, get their start? Who do they kind of credit that to? So you mind just kind of touching on that? Cause I know there's a lot of people tuning in that are, you know, newer fans and learning the sport. Mm-hmm. So I figured just start I, there. Well, sure. I am. Um, I grew up, I, I moved to Indianapolis when I was 10 uh, from the East okay. from New Jersey. So Obviously, I, I knew auto racing, but it was Indianapolis Motor Speedway auto racing. And mm-hmm. and I thought every uh, when I first went to Daytona, I was surprised that there were no grandstands on the inside because my whole uh, my whole uh, reference point was Indianapolis. But, you know, I 
you know, I was in the Boy Scouts and when you're in the Boy Scouts, you set up the chairs for the parade uh, on Memorial Day weekend. So you saw all the drivers. Uh, when I was in college, I helped um, as a quote runner for United Press International at the Speedway during uh, during 500 month. After I graduated, I did a month long kind of internship with the Marion, Indiana paper, which was a Gannett paper. So I spent the whole month of May writing stories um, from from Indianapolis. And then uh, after I graduated, uh, my first job out of college was at the Daytona Beach newspaper in, in 1991. And so I wasn't covering motorsports full time, but I was covering all sports. And that's kind of how I got my introduction to NASCAR. And obviously Godwin Kelly there at the Daytona mm -hmm. paper was their longtime writer. And, you know, so worked together with them for, for 12 years. So he's, he was pretty much the one who kind of helped me, uh, help me learn NASCAR, help me learn yeah. open or help me learn these cars with, uh, with hoods and, uh, or not hoods with uh, roofs and, and everything. So that's kind of where I got my, my start, but I covered a lot of short track racing in, in that area too, uh, Belushi County Speedway was that, mm. uh, back in the day, mm -hmm. a lot of stuff at New Smyrna as well. Who's your favorite driver? Do you have a favorite? Oh, you know, I think when I was a kid, you're following open wheel. Mark Donahue, like just the, the legend of Mark Donahue was was somebody to follow. Uh, you know, I think when I started covering the sport, you know, Jeff Gordon was a favorite one to interview because mm -hmm. he could be answering the same question for the 1000th time. And it felt like he was answering it for the first time. It felt like he was yeah. genuinely thinking about what, how he was going to answer it and, you know, and seemed to be giving you an honest answer, even though I'm sure there were times where it was just totally, he was thinking about something else and, and just rattled off the answer he'd given 20 times. He, he made it, he made you feel comfortable um, and made you, you know, just made it, it, it seemed like he really kind of respected what reporters were doing. And, mm. you know, I just always felt like, felt, I always enjoyed interviewing him, you know, when I first started. Hmm. I think that's interesting because you don't always know where somebody's walk really came from. You said you, you know, moved from New Jersey over to Indianapolis and, and kind of got your start there. That was one thing I really didn't know a whole lot about uh, your story. And, you know, I think those, those elements are really cool to kind of hear because we see, obviously you're, you're very well known on Twitter through all the, the different elements that you're part of. And uh, I think you're one of the hardest working men in the garage area, because anytime I go to a race, there goes Bob. I don't, I don't say hi. I don't, I don't really get in your way, but you're going that way or you're going back down the pits that way. So it's a credit to you because I think a lot of people speak so highly about you and your work ethic of what you uh, do. Now you get a lot of questions, obviously on Twitter about, you know, does a track have lights? I don't know. Where did that start? Actually, let me start. Was, so, well, because remember Twitter started back in 2009 and back then, not mm -hmm. all the, virtually not all the tracks had lights, right? There were, there were still a lot of tracks okay. that didn't have lights. And so when there was rain or something, people would wonder, Hey, does this, track have lights you know it wasn't like you know now where virtually all tracks you know have have lights so it, yeah. it was a it was a much more you know kind of honest question then just kind of turned into this you know running joke of you know hey ask bob if the track has lights but again back you know i mean i know it's hard to think about but even just 13 14 years ago you know not every not every track had not every track had lights and of course there's some that still don't yeah, I think when when I think of, you know, NASCAR's media group, you, uh, Gluck, you know, a lot of people ask, what does it take to get to that position? Um, you know, first of all, from the outside in, 
you guys are just so determined. Um, you know, the, as, as Derek said, the work ethic, the things you guys do, the amount of time you spend covering the sport is unbelievable. And it's, it's amazing. I, I think everybody can say that, you know, we can't thank you guys enough for everything you do and, and the patience you guys have. But when, when someone says, you know, how do I, how do I become what Bob Pockris is? How do I get to that point? What kind of goal um, should they set or what kind of, um, you know, what, what should they look for when they're trying to, to get to that position? Yeah. Well, I mean, first, you know, most places would require a college degree and my, my advice to anybody, no matter uh, pretty much what it is when it comes to some sort of something in the business side of the sport, whether it's media, whether it's PR, whether it's marketing, is that you don't need to work 100% in NASCAR right away. I mean, you look at my path. I worked for the Daytona paper for 12 years and NASCAR was probably like 15% of my job. And, it, and, it, and I was pretty much carving that out, you know, beyond what I was really meant to be doing, which was covering high schools and colleges. Uh, you know, Jeff Gluck worked at uh, in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, and then in San Bernardino, California. And, you know, he wasn't covering NASCAR full time, but it was part of what he was doing. Um, there are several people who work in marketing departments for race teams who worked at an agency where maybe one of the parts of the accounts that they had dealt with racing. So maybe 10% of their job or 20% of their job. And so, you know, there, there are a lot of opportunities in media to work at, uh, you know, if you work at a newspaper or work for a local website, you know, find a place that has a short track that you can write about weekly or do features on, and then maybe you can go cover the NASCAR race that's a few hours away. Or, but do think people are always watching what you're doing. That would be my first piece of advice: is that people are always going to notice you and and be evaluating you. And my advice is always to get more experience and to be well-rounded. And you know, by putting yourself in uncomfortable positions, maybe covering a sport you don't know can be very valuable because there's always going to be some topic that maybe you don't know a whole lot about that you're going to have to write about, even if you're covering NASCAR and you've been a fan your whole life. Um, so that that's, that's my advice. Uh, find a place where you know that people, that you get good guidance too, I think is really important. Um, you know, I think if, if you know that the, that the leadership, the editors or the, the, the like vice presidents of the marketing companies are are good mentors that can go a long way too because you you've got to keep learning and so you know the, the, the those are my suggestions and certainly we've seen people who have just have worked for racing websites their entire lives and keep on moving up and keep on um doing getting you know kind of bigger roles but i, th I think that that weighs a little bit that weighs a little bit tougher and you know, and it's always maybe a little bit more what I would consider a, a, a struggle, especially financially. So they say a lot of times that I think I heard you mention it even here about, you know, being comfortable with the uncomfortable, uh, which is obviously a saying that's used a lot in motorsports. Is it not? <laughs> it is. It is. I remember uh, it makes me think of Danica Patrick at, at Michigan when her first top 10 and she was like, she got out and she was so excited. She goes, I finally felt comfortable in the race car. 
And I went up to Tony Gibson and I was like, were you glad you got Danica comfortable in the race car? And he looked at me and said, Bob, you race these cars uncomfortable. So we've got to get her comfortable with the uncomfortable. Like that was, and that was her challenge her entire career, right? Being, mm -hmm. she, she could never get to the point where she was totally, you know, where she could run the car as on edge as Jimmy Johnson and Kyle Busch and, and the, and the stars of the sport. Uh, so, but yeah, and I think it's the same thing can be said in, in any business. Um, you're gonna, you've got to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. I mean, obviously my job puts myself, I mean, it's the nature of the job is to be put in uncomfortable positions. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I, I tell a lot of young reporters, I go, don't be worried about becoming a viral video because if you do this long enough, the, the nature of the job is that you're probably going to become part of a viral video at some point where somebody, uh, you know, is not uh, the most happiest with you. Right. So that just that's part of the nature of the job. But um, yeah. And again, you know, I, th I think we all grow by working through uncomfortable moments. Yeah, and, and you, Bob, you've, your job has evolved so much over the years, especially going to Fox. Um, you know, it was it was more of uh, when I remember first uh, introduce, introducing myself to you, you were more of just the online deal. Now you're with Fox. You're on TV. <laughs> um, you're doing a lot of interesting reporting, uh, maybe stuff that's possibly put you uh, in uncomfortable spots. But, man, you're doing a great job. <laughs> what do you think about that TV time? Is that, is that, yeah. was that a strange? Well, uh, I mean, you know, you, you read Twitter, like, after my first couple of times on TV, and they said, man, Bobby, you look so nervous, like you're asking your, your girlfriend out on first date. And I'm like, man, you never saw me ask that girlfriend out on first date because I think <laughs> I was still way – I was probably way worse than that. But um, – <laughs> That's probably like 10th dates, uh, still nerves there, but, um, yeah, well, again, you know, you've got to evolve and you've got to, uh, I mean, look, newspaper reporters, we used to, uh, um, you know, we were kind of the wonks, right. You know, the people would sit there and press row and kind of keep to our, you know, we, we, were, we enjoyed talking to people, but we were kind of a little bit more, uh, I mean, you might know the name, but you didn't know the face and we weren't required to uh, speak in in short sentences and in little clips as you are on TV. But I mean, that's the way people get their information now. And if you want to be a journalist and you want to be somebody who gives people information, you've got to adapt. You've that's you've got to I mean, had to adapt to Twitter. Right. And and learning how to. Man, when, when Twitter increased their the the size of the tweets from like what 120 to 240 or whatever, like I was I was thrilled, right? Because now I can cram more information into a tweet. But um, you've you've got to learn, uh, you know. You, again, you've got to adapt, and it's uh, you know I think talk more. I think we've had to adapt more, even more to social media than to you know just even being on air because. Uh, well, first off, when you're on social media, you're on air. It seems like everything is on video these days. But yeah, you, you you're so used to as a reporter giving people and saying, "Hey, you know, I can give you a couple hours. Just get back to me." Where now, you know, you you're, you're trying to be fair, but you're also trying to put out information on social media, which is a you know a 24 second news cycle, not a 24 hour news cycle. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's really good to, to be said there as well. And one thing I'm always thinking about, Bob, people like you and what you do, you know, uh, in the NFL, there's Adam Schefter, NASCAR, there's you and uh, NBA has uh, many guys as well. How do you balance uh, with all the information that you're given? And sometimes the news that you're going to be writing about or reporting on is not easy uh, with maybe a uh, relationship that you have maybe within the sports. How do you balance those uh, healthy relationships that you are trying to, you know, have that information, but have that good standing with then reporting as well. Yeah. I think you just got to be fair and you've got to be honest. And uh, you, you know, obviously you're always making judgment calls of when to post something or whether to wait. And you base that on, you know, obviously there could be talks with editors or producers on that information, but you know, you also have your, you know, just how important is this? What is the value of getting this out there and 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 letting people know? As well as, um, you know, obviously people people want to know, right? And so you, you you're weighing you're weighing all that, and um, you know, it's I mean, certainly there's there's pressure. You don't want to, uh, you certainly don't want to burn relationships. But you also want to try to do things the same way for, you know, try to keep the same, you know, parameters or the same uh, foundation to everything, no matter who it is. And so I think that's, you know, that that can be uh, the, the, the biggest challenge. And, yeah. you know, that's, um, you know, again, you're always you're always making judgment calls and it's look, it's, it's not easy. And sometimes there'll be strained relationships, but that's, I mean, that's the nature, that's the nature of, of the business. I mean, just like, just yeah. like drivers, right. Drivers will have their times where they're not friends with, uh, with other drivers for a little bit because, uh, cause the business of racing got in the way. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think, mm -hmm. you know, you can say the same thing, uh, same thing on our end. And, you know, I think the, the challenge for us as reporters is that, you know, now NASCAR, the tech base is supposed to be the same for everybody, right? <laughs> for mm -hmm. us, you know, uh, some outlets might say, hey, we need two sources who have direct, you know, information. Some might say one. It might depend on what the story is. So we, we're all kind of working under a little bit of different, um, at times, a little bit of different standards. Uh, yeah. So, you know, what, hmm. what, what somebody from one outlet may be allowed to report, uh, another one might not be able to yet because they need more confirmation. You know, it's just the way yeah. that, it's, it's, you know, there's no standard, you know, by, you know, for every outlet that they have to follow. I think that's good as well. And, you know, you've been in the sport for a, a while now. And so what what does Bob like to do outside of NASCAR? NASCAR, <laughs> obviously reporting and that being your job, but, you know, when you're not tweeting and, and, uh, working for Fox and you're able to just be Bob Pockris. What are you up to? Oh, um, where, where are some of the hobbies, Bob? Well, uh, I think people saw me run that half marathon in, uh, in Daytona. So I do try to do a little bit of exercise. The hard part is, is like, yeah. I'll go run, but I'll listen to a racing podcast. So is that work or not? Like, well, I, you know, so it, you you uh, ran the half marathon, Bob, but you were tweeting the entire time you were running the half marathon. I know. So that's it what was, I'm saying. What are you doing outside of that? Uh, you know, I I, I do <laughs> I, I read a lot of you know magazines, a lot of politics, a lot of uh, a lot of financial news type um, stories. Uh, you know, I'll 
you know, I don't watch a, a ton of TV during the, during the season. I, I couldn't tell you who won today in the NCAA tournament. I think I saw Furman won on a last oh, second yes. shot. See, there it is. So I, oh, I, okay. I did see. You I, just said I exactly what happened. All right. So I, I guess I got that. I saw that yeah. alert on my phone. Um, but you have a perfect you know, bracket is what you're saying. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't done okay. a bracket. You know, it's um, so. But yeah, I'll, you know, I read, I do a little bit of reading, a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of TV, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit of, you know, I might watch American Greed or something like that. Some sort of okay. I like to read. I like to watch documentaries um because and that's probably the reporter and me wanting to see how people Mm -hmm. report and piece things together yeah i i think that's good so you know that those are all elements like i was saying earlier about hey who's who's really the guy behind everything that you're doing i think a lot of people obviously see what you're doing and and the work ethic that you're putting into your craft uh which is obviously commendable but it's also hey everybody has hobbies interests as well so it's always good to hear what uh, people when they come on the show just kind of peel the curtain back a little bit but as we now go to atlanta this weekend obviously there is racing the the penalty element aside there is racing this weekend and uh, all three series are back on track for the first time since las vegas so trucks and xfinity will be saturday and then obviously the cup on sunday so the big debate this week, Bob, has been intermediate, super speedway. Now I got to ask you, what is your take? What are we going to be seeing from a, a race standpoint? Oh, it's a super speedway. I mean, with 550 yes. horsepower, um, you know, the, you you have to the, yeah. I mean, the, the big wrecks, a uh, little, mm-hmm. little, little time to react. Uh, I view it as super speedway race. Um, good you know I, th- I think those who are strong on super speedways will be strong strong there at uh at, at atlanta you know yeah. um so that's uh you know i'm i i i think we have enough super speedways i don't want to see any more but i do count this one as a super speedway yeah i as do i and before you jumped on we had ryan priest on and he was saying the same thing now the only gentleman i feel like in america right now that is saying it could be a different element is brian uh, but so now, Brian, you got Bob and Ryan both saying super speedway and me as well. So I'm definitely outnumbered here for sure. Um, <laughs> it's it's a unique super speedway, though. Like Bob said, uh, you know, I think we have enough of them. Uh, at least Atlanta is a little bit more, uh, a little bit smaller, a little bit tighter. Again, a, a unique aspect that we don't see anywhere. Um, so I don't know. I'm really excited to uh, get down to Atlanta. See if the track has aged. See if the racing will be uh, maybe not so much super speedway, maybe a, a tick closer to intermediate. It'll never be a full intermediate, obviously. <laughs> but um, I'm just curious to see, uh, you know, how the yeah. teams have evolved, how the track has evolved. And, um, you know, the one thing we haven't seen at this super speedway, if we're going to call it that yet, is a big one. Do we see the big one this week? Oh, uh, I mean, I thought there were some big ones last year maybe not in car number but as far as the hard hits uh i well you also didn't see a green flag pit stop last year which i think nascar is very thankful for and that's why they moved the (laughs) commitment line to turn three Mm -hmm. uh but yeah i do i think drivers are going to be aggressive i think uh now granted as you say we don't really know yet how much that track has worn like how much has that surface worn you would expect that would wear out quicker than a Daytona or Talladega, mm-hmm. um, 
the this also is the first time remember you know that you had all the tire issues there in the spring last year a little bit better in the summer but then nascar went to a new construction for i think it started in pocono last year and they'll be using that uh that this is the only this is the only track that uses the the specific tire but the construction is different i think going back to what they learned during the year last year so i think there are a lot of new elements and again, I think I think drivers are going to be aggressive. I think they see, uh, especially with the way the Chevrolets have started out. If you're not a Chevrolet, you're you might be thinking, hey, you know, beyond this and some short tracks, am I going? These are my times to win. Yeah, I think uh, we actually had a car on the seven post this week for the uh, Charlotte test coming up, and the one thing that has just blown my mind is how rough Charlotte has gotten. And when I see that obviously it takes five, six, seven, maybe 10 plus years to uh, really see a, a track evolve, see it change. But, um, you know, although Atlanta is considered a super speedway right now, it will be very interesting to see how the story, how the, uh, the future of this track evolves, what happens, what package we bring, um, you know, and much like Darlington, uh, you know, obviously this asphalt won't, won't evolve in a way that Darlington has, but when it gets rougher, this narrow racing surface, what happens and what we see, I, th I think the next uh, decade here is going to be very interesting, uh, probably more than any other racetrack on the circuit, circuit for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and, and you know, as as drivers learn what they can do and can't do, will be uh, will be will be big and you know, i think you you saw last spring christopher bell got nailed for going below the yellow the or was a double white line there right white and red, red white and red line there uh so and, and it, it seems to get narrow pretty quickly so wouldn't be surprised to you know now that drivers have a little bit better idea of what they can do with this car you're going to see some drivers trying to make moves and some drivers holding it to the right on that line and and that can cause some big wrecks too so I know you were on the Stay Green podcast with Todd Furman and Chris Wormy, uh, which was a great episode, and they're obviously friends of the show as well. So I'm sure that they helped you or at least gave some type of guidance uh, to who you're going to maybe be keeping an eye on this weekend, Who who is somebody that maybe everybody should be kind of keeping an eye on that isn't one of the premier names that you would think of with the super speedways where they're always running up front. Hmm. Well, I mean, obviously you talk about Corey LaJoy, right? Although yep. he was up front. Uh, I mean, I keep my eye on Ross Chastain mainly because he finished second both these races last year with mm -hmm. wrecked race cars. <laughs> I mean, True. yeah, he had wrecks. And uh, yeah, man, Joey Logano, I think, got airborne last year and was still able to continue. So that's uh, it, it can be wild. I think you you would look at a guy like McDowell, right? I mean, especially with the way they've been the way they've been running and continue to uh, to, to seem to perform well. And then the other, um, I would, uh, you know, Chris Buescher and Brad Kozlowski, they're, they're drivers mm -hmm. that, you know, desperately need wins. The organization could really use a win. And they're both really good restrictor plate or super speedway racers. And, and I definitely would watch out for them this week as well. Yeah. I think those are good names. McDowell's name's been floated around. It seems like a whole bunch. And you mentioned Christopher Bell. You know, Bell, you know, his finishes aren't what 
maybe they should have been. Like you said, he finished third, but then had, went below that double yellow or white line with the red stripe. So he finished, uh, I think it was 23rd. And then in the summer race, uh, was running sixth, had a penalty, spun out. So going to be interesting to see some of the names. I'm glad this year they went to 400 miles versus the 500 miles last year. Or, Bob, you'd probably still be there right now uh, with how long that was going because that was a marathon. Yeah. Uh, you know, I watched both races back earlier this week and, uh, I watched my watch races back at time and a half. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it was still, it was still long <laughs> at 500 so miles. And I think with this style of racing, a 400, mi- you know, 400 mile race is, is more than, is more than fine. And I yeah. think well, it, it creates urgency. Um, it, it gets the drama, you know, you'll have your first stages of, of, of 60 laps, is a, mm-hmm. is is a fuel run right and so mm-hmm. i think I, I i enjoy the 400 mile race for the for this event and yeah you know and i think um you know talking to drivers there were they didn't i don't think it changed the strategy all that much or changed the way they race all that much mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I know not not anybody can really see us uh, doing the the conversation right now, but you were throwing your fist up in the air (laughs) when I mentioned about the 400 miles. So, you know, I I look back at the races uh, leading into uh, each weekend. I watch it a few times as well, uh, I'm sure for different reasons. But, you know, what is something that you look for whenever you're watching those back? Obviously, sure, you're doing a lot of note taking and just getting, uh, I guess, acquainted with what that race is going to look like and kind of a feel perspective. Is that right? Yeah, well, it's weird to be looking back at races at this time of year because a year ago I didn't have to look back at races because the first year, the yeah. next gen car, yeah, you know, last year there really wasn't a whole lot, you know, until like the second half of the year to maybe go back and look. And it's still, you know, things had evolved so much. So I think it look at a strategy. Uh, you certainly look at tire wear, mm-hmm. um, you know, w- you know how how drivers won, and also you know you look for things like the Christopher Bell decision there at the end of mm. the race or you, you you forget i forget i some some people have great memories but I, you know i don't always remember what happened early in a race i may remember who won and maybe what happened at the finish but just how i think when you know who the winner is it's a lot more it's interesting to watch and see oh wow they were back in 20th at this point or this driver not only did they win but even if they didn't lead a ton of laps they really were out near the front uh, mm-hmm. front the whole time. So I think that's, those are things I kind of, uh, look for. I look for drivers who maybe again, you're not necessarily thinking about, but you know, obviously you're are, are strong at, at that track a, a year ago. Yeah. Uh, do you also do that for like the trucks and Xfinity as well? I know you also keep up obviously with that or not, know. not as much, not as much. No. Um, you're able to be a know, fan a little bit. And just enjoy well, just, the, the race. Well, action. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I just don't have time to do that that much of research. I'm just yeah. just rewatching races from this year is is enough, you know. And a lot mm-hmm. of um, rewatching what we what what we air on Fox and and everything. So I don't usually get to watch last year's race too much, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as as far as Xfinity and and trucks. And I think. Part of that too is, you know, especially in some of those series, uh, the drivers change so much, right? You know, as far right. as who's driving for what team, so it's it's a little bit harder to get a gauge or or use those as uh, a precedent. 
So I know, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we do that. Everybody, you'll see it throughout the week. Uh, I, I think the tweet ups are really cool. And I want to get to that here in a, in a little bit. But, uh, you know, does it have lights, all that fun stuff? But when you're traveling as much as you are, there's got to be a favorite stop that you go to. Maybe it's St. Elmo's. You said from Indianapolis, you know, maybe it's somewhere like that. But where where do you like to uh, kind of on the circuit be like, that's where I can't wait to get to and kind of be around that area? Well, mom's house in Indianapolis. When when I go home, mom's when I'm in Indianapolis, yes, that's that's uh, that's always uh, that's always a place I uh, I I like to uh, I like to visit. Um, you know, so what does mom make that you like? What is what is the staple food? Uh, you just always know that there's going to be coffee and bagels if you stop in in the morning after your flight. So that that's always a, <laughs> that's always a a, a good thing. Um, and uh and plus i get called robert which i don't usually get called very much so uh, so that's always a <laughs> that's always enjoy uh that's but good. you know well you know again i worked in daytona for a long time so it's always good to maybe try to take a walk on the beach right you know you don't always mm -hmm. see that uh too much i mean i live in new york so i can see water anytime but mm -hmm. uh but still there's just something about uh, daytona beach having lived there for for so much for for so long yeah. and just uh kind of experiencing that area and hmm. uh you know beyond that i can't say that there's anything so again i run right so there's certain spots like that when you go to phoenix there's the canal i didn't actually get a chance to run that this year but there's usually that there's a long uh you know path that goes along a canal there that that is always that I always enjoy uh running so that's kind of what I I kind of like. I more look forward to the running path. I know I won't get hit by a car, and uh, <laughs> you know that, that 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 and that's also kind of safe and uh, and kind of in, and sometimes scenic. Yeah. No, I think that's good. I, I I guess you don't play any golf or anything, do you? No, golf takes coordination no. and patience. I wasn't born with either. So <laughs> okay. uh, so. I, I, if I play golf, I'd be breaking clubs. I'd be throwing clubs and oh. I'd also take me like seven hours. Cause I don't, it would take me like, I mean, I would need like, I mean, you know, can, can you score like 200? Cause like I'd probably, oh, I'd, yeah. I'd probably be like 10 shots a hole. I, I don't think I've ever seen mad Bob. I've seen spicy Bob. I, yeah. I, I didn't know. I didn't oh, know I, Bob could no, get there mad. can be a, uh, you know, there's, there, there's times when, uh, when you know, there's there's times for frustration for sure i i spicy bob's always good it puts everybody back <laughs> in their lane uh like the other day so it's always good to see that no okay so going going back home bagel coffee uh that i think that's pretty good so that, that's interesting because you know you guys are traveling a lot and you're doing going to a lot of different places this year we're going to be going to north wilkesboro again you said you you were kind of working in the sport back in the early 90s so you remember what that's right do you remember what that place yeah, was like I mean, a little bit a little bit i mean i never Who, i i've never yeah. been there for a race until last year when i went to the gotcha. cars tour event so what was that, that was like? my first time there for a race um it was yeah. it was neat you know it was a great yeah. atmosphere um you know i hadn't been there for a race before so i can't say there was this huge emotional attachment you mm -hmm. know i have emotional attachment when i go to volusia speedway park because i covered okay. races there you know my first race i covered there was like 1991 and mm -hmm. so there's an emotional attachment when i go there because i know of all the history there and you know it was asphalt at the time covered 
Bush series race there. And then they mm-hmm. made it dirt again and they built this other dirt track and turn asphalt track and everything. So, so I had that emotion there. I didn't have that, uh, that emotion at North Wilkesboro. It just, it felt like covering, you know, an all pro series race with Freddie query at, you know, at, at, at a short track in, in, in Florida or, or North Carolina is what kind of what it felt like. Yeah. Well, I know, uh, I know Brian's going and uh, I'm still deciding if I'm going to be down there because I, I want to kind of be a part of that. Like that's, you know, that looks like such a cool, they, they keep hyping it up and there's a lot of conversations about it. So that's going to be something that I know we all look forward to, especially for the sport. So uh, Bob, anything else regarding this weekend or anything, you know, we touched on the penalties a little bit, but anything else you want to kind of uh, end with at all? Oh, well, you know, I think, you know, you, you go to Atlanta and you think of Chase and Bill Elliott, right? And so I think, again, everybody would be like, oh, you know, hope that Chase is getting better. You know, you hear that he's, you know, that he's progressing. You know, they got to wait until he can put some weight on the on that leg, you know, before they really know for sure that that he'll be able to be back and that the recovery will be six weeks. And, uh, you know, and I... I live in New York, so I, in in the city, and so obviously a lot of um, a lot of chatter today about the you know as I was boarding plane about um, and now I, his name and I'm blocking and the the great uh, baseball reliever um, who got hurt celebrating Puerto Rico's win in the World Baseball yeah. Classic, and you know and the the, their star yeah and their star relievers now out for the year injured by celebrating. And it, it kind of mm-hmm. thought, you know, man, it's, uh, you know, I think things happen. Right. And yeah. so I think that's mm-hmm. another, that's a sign, uh, you know, in, in, our, in this whole debate that we have, which is a, gr- a debate that you should have about what should drivers be allowed to do? What should they be allowed to do? What should they try to avoid? And you see a name right off. Um, Something Edwin Diaz. Edwin not, Diaz. It's not Edwin. Um, is that it? I, I uh, pulled that one out of my, um, I'm, Are you a Mets I'm fan, missing, Bob? I, well, so the, here's my hard part: is that I'm a Met. I grew up a Mets fan, uh, uh-huh. but I live a mile from Yankee Stadium. So okay, uh, so, so I kind of have. I mean, and and when my training runs for this half marathon, a lot of them took me around Yankee Stadium. So yeah, I, I kind of where I live, I'm kind of a Yankees fan. Edwin Diaz. So okay, um, and you know, the Tommy trumpets and everything. It was a great spectacle all year <laughs> last year. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and now he's out for the year, uh, just celebrating. It made me think of Atlanta and chase and, you know, mm-hmm. what he's going through. And, and so it, um, I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, kind of worlds collide a little or not worlds colliding, mm-hmm. but, you know, it just, how that how it's looked at one way you know there, mm-hmm. but there there's the debate now in baseball should players be doing this tournament just like there's the debate in nascar what what drivers should be allowed to do so that's kind of what i was thinking about on my uh yeah. on my way down and then you know as far as this weekend i just think it's going to be um yeah i, th- I think it's, it'll be interesting to see how much this track wears and you know just kind of pondering what the future you know you have two races at Atlanta. The Nashville Fair Board just passed uh, the the proposal. Could be who knows if it'll get through the Metro Council, but if it does, then where do they get a race? 
uh, the ga- the gambling uh, bill here in Georgia didn't pass. Uh, I don't even know if it got to a vote, but it didn't pass. Mm-hmm. So what the, these plans for a casino and everything at mm-hmm. the Speedway, where do those stand? You know, you have a lot of dynamics going on, you know, right now as far as Atlanta Motor Speedway and its future and one race or two races and, and you know, and, and everything. So I, I'll be interested to see what type of vibe we have there this weekend. Yeah, I think you brought up a lot of good points there uh, and about, you know, Nashville. That was a major hurdle that they got through, but there are many more that still have to go through those processes before any talk of hey here's a race date and all that correct so we're still looking maybe yeah three four five years out i mean yeah i yeah i mean i don't even think 2025 would be feasible uh but yeah like that it has to go to the metro council which right now has 40 members but their law just passed in tennessee that requires them to cut it to 20 they're not sure when they have to do that and this is how how uh how murky it is there is that uh if it if they consider this a renovation of the fairgrounds they need 21 votes but if they consider it a demolishing of the fairgrounds and a total rebuild then they need 27 votes and nobody seems to know in nashville which way what who's gonna how many how many votes they're actually going to need so if they get somewhere between 21 and 27 if they get more than 21 or more but less than 27 there's going to be a interesting another interesting battle to be had uh in that and that 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 could also prolong the process so yeah but hopefully i mean hopefully whatever the people there um decide you know it can be uh hopefully they get all the information and can make a decision and there can be an answer you know quote unquote relatively relatively soon you know you want people in there who you want people who live in that area to be able to decide what the future of their stuff is so that's the way government and things work (laughs) well that will uh you perked up a little bit i'll admit whenever you start talking about the laws and different things you perked up a little bit there talking about it's it's interesting because i know a lot of people say well you shouldn't have moved near a racetrack but you know this is you know the racetrack isn't a doesn't have cup races so when you talk about building something that's gonna you know probably double the size and increase the parking needs and everything and then you have a soccer stadium there you know it's it's good for a community to be able to sit there and debate and decide you know what what they want you know you i don't think nascar want i i don't think the sport should want to go somewhere if the people aren't you know behind it so hopefully Mm -hmm. they get the votes and they get it you know, if, if that's what the people want and they can get that, uh, get that project going, if that's what the people want there. Well, Bob, I, I really appreciate your time. I know Brian does as well. And, and can't thank you enough for all the conversations and you just taking time out of your day. I want to just speak to your character real quick because it was about two months ago or so where I, you know, reached out and you were very nice about wanting to come on. Then there was some news that were coming out. So we prolonged it a little bit. And then you reached out last week and you said, Hey, I want to make, I want to make that up and, and come on. So it really speaks to who you are, I believe. And uh, again, just wanted to make sure that that was publicly said, because I really appreciated that. That was very nice. Well, it speaks to what you guys do. And obviously Brian's real active on social media and I appreciate him sometimes acting or he was. Uh, no, he is. No, he is. I was kidding. Yeah. I, I appreciate when he uh, sometimes adds some context from yeah. inside that, uh, that we just, uh, that we don't have. And, you know, and, 
and and I appreciate that uh, that that engagement and support for fans. This is a I always tell people this is a hard sport for fans to understand, and the more they can understand, the more they can decide whether they spend their hard-earned money and spend their uh, very limited free time following the sport. And if we can help them make those decisions on on what to do or how to spend that time, then that's a that's a great thing that that we can do. Yeah, as uh, Derek said, Bob, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Uh, you know, your passion and dedication for the sport and providing the fans with uh, up-to-date and uh, great information and insight is is really amazing. Uh, you know, as as someone from the team side too, it's you're a gem for for all of us. So thank you for all you do, uh, the sacrifices you make, the time you uh, put in to to doing and and holding in your craft. And uh, yeah, I, again, really really appreciate you coming on, spending the time. Um, have fun down in Atlanta. Hopefully you don't get too cold and, uh, you know, maybe we'll see you soon. All right. We'll see you guys. Hope to run into you soon. Thanks, yeah. Bob. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. I don't know about you, Brian, but I think those were some really cool conversations where we were able to dive into so much. So thank you again to Ryan Priest and, and Bob for coming on and, and taking time out of their day to, to join us. That was uh, really cool and a lot like what this show is all about, where we're able to dive into different elements. Obviously, Ryan races in the Cup Series and Bob is reporting on it. Uh, and then you work in the uh, the shop as well. So what did you think of those interviews? Yeah, I mean, just fantastic. I think we saw a side of Bob that we naturally are just are not able to see um you know just he's commenting and and tweeting and and doing his job on a weekly basis and and it was really cool to see him kind of you know show his personality a little bit uh not that he does on twitter but you know i a little bit behind the scenes look uh at who bob is and and maybe uh you know why he is or or what he is or <laughs> all that great stuff. And then, and then Ryan priest, I mean, a new driver for Stuart Haas racing. Um, again, we talked a little bit about the, the rookie aspect, even though he's not a rookie and, and to get his mindset at this point of the year uh, was really cool. Um, you know, again, really excited for the 41 bunch, really excited for uh, you know, everything that's going on at Stuart Haas racing right now. We have some things that we need to, to work on, get a little bit better, but Man, we've shown some speed. Kevin Harvick has that speed week after week. He just gets it done. And I think a lot of that is that uh, that veteran mentality, uh, the years that he has behind the wheel of a cup car. And so we know the potential's there. Still need to get our stuff better for, for everyone as a whole. But, uh, you know, definitely, definitely a lot of bright spots heading into Atlanta this weekend. Yeah, and, and Atlanta being a place where Kevin got his first win. And the the cool thing about Kevin's first win, it was just announced here a little bit ago, and I know making headway uh, right now as the podcast is getting released, is Kevin's going to be driving the number 29 car uh, in the All-Star race at um, North Wilkesboro. A really cool touching touching tribute to a future Hall of Famer of, you know, dating back to 2001 when he got his first win. Guys, that, that paint scheme looks really cool. Yeah, as we were switching over from – bob's uh you know bob's segment to this i was able to go on twitter and just check out some things and, and Stuart haas post a really really cool video of kevin harvick kind of touching on that moment kind of a, a letter to dale earnhardt uh on that day 
on that difficult situation. And man, I mean, this is this is a throwback to so much here, right? Not just Dale Earnhardt, not just Kevin Harvick, um, the fans, the emotion we felt that day, the emotion that we felt really that year. And it's it's just there's so much that's going into this to to remember two great drivers that will ultimately be known as as two of the best to ever do it and it's absolutely fantastic the whole story has played out in in a storybook way when we talk about um Kevin Harvick's career what he's done what he's had to do and uh I'm I'm just really excited it's it's great for the fans great for our sponsors a great you know we don't see drivers switch car numbers much i can't remember the last time that we've seen it just off uh, uh, go ahead I, I i know actually the last time it was uh so jimmy johnson he ran the five car in the all-star race and then the very last time was kyle bush he ran the number 75 throwback in the all-star race in charlotte as well good job there you go some some great history there yeah i, I, I don't some i don't it's here brian i, I, I don't remember it. that um so uh yeah just you know, an, an emotional time. It's going to be great to go back to North Wilkesboro. Again, we talked with Bob about that event. What a mega event it's going to be. And I think we've just added another element yeah. to, um, you know, just w- what an emotional time this is going to be heading into the all-star race at, uh, at North Wilkesboro. So I uh, can't say enough. Please, everybody, go look at that video done by Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, you know, it's it's a great letter, uh, great video to Dale Earnhardt from Kevin Harvick. Uh, you know, so uh, I think you know our, our our guys over in the social media um, department have done an awesome job. They're looking for as much content as they can bring. So off topic, um, please send me, send Justin Potter, um, send Jess. If if there's something you want to see, send it because. They are hell-bent on giving the fans everything they want to see, behind-the-scenes looks. Um, you know, it's it's fantastic to see this push that we weren't able to see in the last generation of car where, you know, we can really showcase personalities, technology, the cars, all of it. So, um, again, please, please, everybody, just, uh, you know, if you want to see something, please, I'm going to beg you, please let us know because we will do it. And, um, you know, very excited about uh, um, all the things coming down the pipeline. So that, I think, is a good way to kind of move on to the next topic, because, you know, that really is a a good thing about Kevin and, uh, you know, just touching that tribute there. Um, I wanted to get your take on this. We talked about it a little bit uh, with Bob about the the louvers, obviously the penalties that were enforced through from NASCAR on the way down to Hendrick and colleague. And uh, you know, it's just amazing to see some of those fines and some of those implications. I mean, Kyle Larson being one, he's now about, I think 40th in points and uh, Justin Haley, negative point total now. So uh, can you break down anything about the louvers uh, and, and about their, you know, some of the penalty elements. Yeah. What a, what a mega fine, right? I mean, uh, we saw them take those parts from the teams at Phoenix and uh, you know, my first reaction was if something's wrong, you know, the louvers we've had problems with the louvers. 
this year, last year, it's really difficult to position those louvers with the ductwork that's attached to the nose, which really because of the underbodies can kind of end up in in many different places. You know, the, the, the center pan of these cars bolts to the chassis. The front, uh, the engine pan then bolts to the center pan. The diffuser bolts to the center pan. So you kind of work off of where the center pan is mounted. And teams don't have any dictation on really location of the center pan when it comes to Y and X. We can dictate Z, which is height. So, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into the location of noses and tails. Um with the center pan and getting getting really deep here but um with that said then matching the the engine pan to the splitter the splitter to the nose the nose to the hood and then ultimately where the louvers just happen to to be located in space um uh, to the hood is is a very difficult task for teams um you know to perform and there's a small tolerance for teams to to get this right where you have to get these louvers in this in this perfectly cut hole in the hood right um with that said creating all these parts the center pan the engine uh the engine pan the uh diffuser the splitter the nose there's a lot of uh, of tolerances within that that the manufacturers then have to meet and in all those tolerances combined, whether they are intolerance or out of tolerance, can throw all of this out of out of sync, right? So there's so much that goes into just getting the louvers placed in the right spot. Um, so it is a difficult thing to do. And initially, when I saw that they had taken them, um, two things came to mind. First of all, what I just said positioning the difficulty of making them fit correctly second of all we made a change this off season to the louvers the design and all of that and it, it takes a lot i mean these these tooling the the molds all of this to build these louvers cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to to do this you know and and do it as precisely as possible but even still it's not 100% correct every time. And so with, with that said, it takes time. These louvers are multiple pieces being put together um, and they're being rushed out. We, I think we have at Stuart Haas Racing maybe eight or nine sets of louvers. That's it. So when you think wow. about stuff we've wrecked, when you think about stuff that, uh, you know, just getting back from the West Coast, at times we were waiting to put louvers on cars to fit hoods, to do all of this, hmm. um, you know, we were waiting to do all this. By the time those those louvers came back on the airplane, somebody dropped it off that morning, and we were putting on the race car that was going to the next race. So, it's a really difficult situation. It's nobody's fault. It's just it's just again just the the natural aspect of where we're at. So, um, you know, with that said, those two things, it's it's hard for me to comment on the situation only knowing what I've heard through the grapevine and just like any, anything else in the world, um, you know, what I hear, it's a telephone game. So it's gone through 20 people, you know, they may have just peeled off the decal. It ripped some of the carbon. They sanded it down. 
um and and now by the time i hear it they've cut it they've opened it up they've moved it you know i mean there's so many possibilities yeah. right so I, I, we just really ne- need to let the process play out uh you know they've appealed it's it sucks um you know i i think when i think of moments like these when i think of our deck lid moment when i think of this moment in particular i think of the first day i saw jim france at the racetrack you know um brian france had had gone through his difficulties and jim france came the next week as as he was appointed um the position and i remember rolling through tech i believe it was kansas speedway and Jim France just stood in front of the Hawkeye as you entered. And when we, when Pen, there was a Penske car ahead of us and a Roush car behind us, I, I distinctly remember this moment. And Jim France walked up to the crew chiefs and said, Why are all three of these noses different? They're all three Fords. Why do they not look the same? And interesting. That's where we're headed right now. NASCAR is removing this aspect of the sport that's been around for decades. And it's mm-hmm. it just it's it was a fun time. It was a fun aspect. I'm not gonna say I agree with all of the things we're removing, the creativity, but you know what? NASCAR is being diligent and they're being persistent and this this is not a surprise. I mean, they are treating everyone the same. And I think last year, last week we talked about, you know, the the officials and and is there favoritism? There's not. There's not. This this proves just that. A four hundred thousand dollar fine and what we're seeing that they just hand Hendrick is massive. And um, you know, they're not going to put up with any shenanigans with this Gen Seven car. And they said that last year. They said it pretty much every week. I mean, I mean, there's there's something right where where they they are basically telling the teams that do not modify these parts, and they're serious about it as they should be. And and you have to set once you say that there has been years mm-hmm. where 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 NASCAR the officials have said these things, and they didn't back them up. But you know what? Yeah. They damn sure are going to back them up now. And teams better realize that those days of modifying parts um, and and a lot of the shenanigans are gone. And yeah. you know that time has passed. And it's it's time for everybody to to realize that. And um, you know the sooner they do, the better off they'll be. Again, I'm not going to comment on uh, really Hendrick Steele because I don't know the inner workings of what happened or why. We'll we'll let that play out, but um regardless that's where we're at well nascar definitely threw the hammer down and uh, i didn't think we were going to hear a jim france story but that was a very interesting story that you told there and um be interesting to hear what else you got uh at some point but you know regarding more nascar fines denny hamlin was fined from nascar for comments he made uh, on his podcast about you know, how he was intentional about wrecking or getting into uh, Ross and preventing him from having a 
you know, a decent finish. I guess they were around 10th anyway. So uh, what did you think about that situation? Because here's Denny coming out, having a podcast and being very open, transparent, which us as fans are craving that stuff to hear what is a driver's mindset, especially Denny is doing the show right after the race where you can get it then the next morning. So he's being very open and talking, you know, about so many different things. And then to share that information. Now there's a lot of people saying, Hey, you, you gotta not share some of that information, but it, yeah. What'd you think of it? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I agree with the penalty, the things that Ross and Hamlin have done, um, have really brought a lot of a lot of attention to the sport and you know the the personalities we've all we've heard i we put i put out that tweet last week right like um you know everybody wants it okay i'm not gonna say everybody there are people that want to be like the 80s and that doesn't make sense because the racing wasn't as good in the 80s right but the one thing that brett griffin came back with was the personalities the you know, a lot of different aspects that were great. And and when you talk about the personalities, you know, you hear that a lot that we don't have the personalities nowadays that we once did. Yeah, that's that's a hard thing to do because I don't think nowadays you could have those personalities and it'd be okay. Um, you know, there, so. there's a lot, a lot that goes into the business side, a lot that goes, you know, social media side um and whatnot so are we ever going to get those personalities that we saw in the 70s 80s and, and even the 90s probably not but what what we've done now is reduce the ability reduce the incentive for drivers to to give that to the fans and you know we, we don't want ross to change we don't want denny hamlin to change we don't want those things to go away um and in in my opinion, we didn't see a wreck like we saw, and I hate to bring this up because it was a it was a bad moment for Bubba, but you know he learned. But we didn't see a right rear. It was it was a simple wreck, and we see this week after week after week in short tracks. We see it in the Cup Series, and you know to to kind of go out and say that. You know, honestly, when it came back for me, I thought of the Roval race last year where, you know, the uh, what I got out of that penalty was as long as teams aren't going out and and manipulating the race. And I'm not saying we did because I don't even that's a whole nother conversation. But regardless, out of that came teams cannot manipulate the race. Um and I almost remember drivers, they're saying that, you know, drivers are out there just racing and, and it just is kind of natural for whatever they do. And this was a pretty natural move. It wasn't, it wasn't a total wreck. It wasn't a right rear. No. Um, I, I didn't even think it was that, a, uh, it wasn't even that it wasn't bad, egregious. right? No, it wasn't egregious at all. He just, um, he just said, like, he's coming with me and that was it. Nobody else got in it. I, I'm with you. I disagree. So I just, penalty. I don't. You know, this is a pretty harsh penalty, and we're getting into a very large gray area here. Um, so, all right, I, I guess then going forward, uh, don't say anything. Um, you know, you can wreck somebody, but just don't say anything about it. And and that's where we're at. And, you know, I, I, I just, I don't know if that's the right way to go. 
at the same time, I will say this, right? <clears throat> you can't just let people going people going out there and just dumping each other for for no reason can get old. We see in F1, we see in IndyCar, we see in sports cars, we see around the world that there are a lot of penalties handed out for aggressive driving, blocking in a, in some series. Uh, so in the grand scheme of things, uh, this is a very mild, you know, uh, it's, it, I, f- I feel like a lot of series would have given this penalty out even harsher if it happened in, in a different series. So I don't know. I, I'm so torn on it, but I'm going to definitely have to default towards uh, I don't agree with this penalty whatsoever. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I don't I don't agree with it either, uh, but they obviously made uh, the statement that they did NASCAR wise. So how about this? Let's close with uh, there's a lot of racing happening this weekend. So why don't you give everybody a little taste of uh, where there's racing happening? What type of events and series uh, is going on? Yeah, last weekend. What a mega weekend of racing. Um, you know, we had Phoenix, NHR in Gainesville, um, you know, a few other massive short track events heading into this weekend, tomorrow, Friday, the WEC race at Sebring, uh, the doubleheader with IMSA Sebring is one of my favorite racetracks. Um, you know, we talked about, I was going to go down the weather didn't look good. You know, Charlotte weather was going to be sunny. Perfect. Uh, Sebring was going to be rainy. So I called it off on Monday. I'm going to stay home only to find out that Charlotte's going to be rainy and, and Sebring's going to be beautiful. So it's always great when that happens. But again, a great race. Uh, WEC, I believe the broadcast is free on YouTube. Um, the 12 hours of Sebring on Saturday um, is broadcast on Fox. Um, you know, Followed by Sunday, we have NASCAR Atlanta. We have the F1 race at Saudi Arabia, and we have WRC at Mexico. Really excited to see if Red Bull can back up their ass stomping that we saw um, a couple of weeks ago. So, um, you know, a great weekend for racing. Um, St. Patrick's Day on Friday. Definitely tune into the WEC and IMSA race. Um, you know, we're going to have the hypercars and the uh, LMDHs on track for the first time. Um, seeing these worldwide regulations come together, IMSA and the ACO working uh, together to uh, produce a new golden age of motorsports when it comes to sports car racing. This is this is a massive deal. This is big. So to see how it all plays out, see how the uh, manufacturer built hypercars compare with the uh, more spec based IMSA LMDHs is going to be interesting for sure. And uh, again, another great weekend of of more sports on tap for um, for everyone. Yeah, no, I know it's uh, it's good to have all the racing series coming back and and being part of the whole swing. And uh, like we touched on, you know, the trucks Xfinity and Cup down at Atlanta uh, Super Speedway this weekend, and all the action that we're going to see there. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I think uh, just amazing again by all the content that we were able to get today with Priest and and Pacres. So. Um, anything else you want to leave the people with? No, great, great, uh, full week of news and fun and, and racing. And, uh, you know, I look at my calendar here as I talk about, um, you know, all the, all the great races we have this weekend. And again, next week, next week, NASCAR, NHRA, MotoGP, uh, the following week, NASCAR F1 Indy. And, and I can't see because it says two more. So, uh, these weekends are becoming super packed. There's no better time to be a motorsport fan. 
um, you know, the, the access, uh, the ability to watch these races from around the world is, is unlike it's ever been. So, um, yeah, enjoy it all. It's, it's all great. It's all fun. It's all accessible. So, mm-hmm. um, wish everybody a great weekend. Excited to see how this Atlanta plays out. I'm hoping it's, uh, it's, uh, I hope to prove everybody wrong and say Atlanta is not going to be your typical super speedway, but Hey, um, you know, again, at, at the end of the day, just really hoping for a solid day for Stuart Haas Racing. We could use it, um, take that momentum from Phoenix, build mm-hmm. off it uh, for, you know, head into Atlanta, get a great finish there, and then code in the next week. So um, really excited about all that. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I like this part of the schedule. We're really starting to get in back to the swing of things. Uh, obviously, the series coming back east here to race in Atlanta. So thank you again, everybody, for tuning in to the All Things Go podcast. Make sure you download, subscribe to the pod on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcast. Uh, you can in- interact with me on Twitter at Derek Yoder underscore. You can interact with Brian at Brian underscore Murphy underscore on Twitter as well. So for Brian, uh, I'm Derek. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next time for episode 18 next week for CODA.